welcome. This is Jesus, the pattern son, attempt to give you sonship doctrine that is faithful and fulsome, or in other words, a go at it that's biblical and orderly. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jesus, the pattern son, and today we're going to talk about the topic of choose life. Blessing and cursing, life and death set before you, choose life. I have heard so much about the blessing in the past couple of decades that I'm going to ask your indulgence, please listen to me. I am really praying. I think I've got some new thoughts here. And if I think if you listen with the ear of the spirit, that you will find some things that will help you a lot, no matter what part of the church you're in. Hallelujah. I know that I have some listeners who are very bewildered and sitting in different corners bewildered in ways that I wasn't willing to be bewildered maybe but I have spent my life searching into this anyway I have some good news for you that there is life and we can choose it (laughs) so let's go to the book of Deuteronomy and we're going to look at the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy The story starts earlier in, oh, say, in chapter 27, and we're at the Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim story that's recounted in Deuteronomy. It's also in Joshua, the eighth chapter. So these are two mountains. If you're coming in from the east and you come in across from the east and you come down into Shechem, and you recognize Shechem is a place that's the heartland of Israel that the patriarchs camped at. And Shechem is the valley in between Ebal and Gerizim. And Ebal is the Mount of Curse and Gerizim is the Mount of Blessing. Now first I want you to notice that Ebal is a mountain that is not fertile. It's very rocky and dry. And Mount Gerizim is a mount that's fertile, lush, green. All right. So Ebal is cursing and Gerizim is blessing. And the actual geography of the mountains matched up with that. Not opposite, but with that. (laughs) And what was happening is the... The priests and the Levites had the, the Ark of the Covenant and they were teaching 12 moral principles according to the rabbis. This is how a rabbi would explain it. And they would say, blessed be the man that does such and such and cursed be the man that does such and such. And for each positive pronouncement, they faced Mount Gerizim and for the negative, cursed be the man they faced Mount Ebal. And then after each one, the congregation would respond, Amen. So they are committing themselves to following the ways of God. Mount Ebal is rocky and barren, portraying the ramifications of choices. If we choose the good path, cleaving to God and following his ways, leading to rich and fruitful life, alternatively, we can embrace evil And this leads to empty and barren life, devoid of all things good. Such are the words of 
Rabbi Mordecai Rubin, who is alive today. I got his words off of the internet, Chabad.org, but it sounds to me like a very good way of explaining what is going on. So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And let's just start reading in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 1. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, then the Lord thy God will return thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. But the point I want to make here is that the Jews actually did hearken to this this passage that I read for centuries when they were dispersed and they read this and they hoped in God. Can you think of that? For generations and generations to have held this book so tightly to the breast and believed in the promises of God that they would one day come true. Please do not lose the import of that since we are standing here in 2021 as I record this and of course we all know that Israel exists today and a hundred years ago that would have seemed entirely impossible so regardless of when you think this was written it was written a long time ago yes and the Lord has fulfilled that promise for the Lord has gathered his his people, the Israelites. Verse 4, And if any of thine be driven out unto the uttermost parts, the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. Amazing. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers. So this is something that seems to be a revelation in our time, that God is good. God is a good God, and he will multiply us above our fathers. Verse 6, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. Now I want to stop here and notice that there is a circumcision of the heart. There is not a cutting up of the heart. There is not a burying of the heart. And there is not a greasy grace type of blessing of the heart that it is built up without the circumcision. But there is a circumcision of the heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. So who do we love? that we live and and what happens we are blessed okay so this is the major point here that we're going to love God with all our hearts and all our souls and we'll live because of it this is simple enough is it not how could we have gotten this confused as if God hated us 
and wanted to do us bad, as if we had to cut up and bury our heart. Okay, verse 7. No, I'm going to read verse 6 again. The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will wake thee will make thee plenteous in every work of thy hand, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. Okay, so all of you who hate the prosperity gospel, (laughs) they do have a little scriptural warrant here. Do you see it says, God will make thee plenteous in every work of thy hand through the cattle, the fruit of the land for good. This is the point. Verse 10. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. So if you're in the prosperity gospel and you're a greasy grace glib lib people who have forgotten the full counsel of God let's let's not forget that because there is an if here verse 11 for this commandment which I command thee this day it is not hidden from thee neither is it far off so today the highest revelation once again is the basic gospel hallelujah that's good It's not hidden. It's not far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldst stay. Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is a very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And so here is the point of our message. God has set before us good and evil, life and death. We are asked to make a choice of life. And yet I think sometimes we have gotten it mixed up. And somehow we have been snookered and it has been twisted. And in our striving for life, we have chosen death. So let's, let's go through this word and see if we can't get straightened out. Verse 16, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 16 In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So let's just stop right there with 15 and 16. The Lord has set before us 
life and good and death and evil. And we are asked to make a choice. And it is simple as that, a choice. And yet, there are also things that we would do. But we have gotten this confused. So let me dilate just a little moment on how we have chosen death in our pursuit of good. We, meaning the church. And we've done this in many ways, depending on the corner of the church that we have been in. Let's talk about the older Pentecostals. There is a well-known preacher today, of full of years, who talks about his father, who was so dedicated to God that he refused to ever accept payment for his work. Because when he was a young married man, he worked eight days and got $8, if I remember the story correctly. And he worked hard. He was doing construction or farm work of some sort, and he got a boil on his hand. So at the end of the eight days, he got his pay, and he went to the doctor. And the doctor looked at the boil and said, well, it needs to be lanced, and normally I charge 35 but for you, I'm going to charge only 8 And so the man, a minister of the gospel, skilled in construction, understood that to be a curse of God because the doctor had quoted eight and the man had worked hard eight days to the point of injuring himself and had to pay all of that to the doctor. And so he interpreted that, that he must never ever work for wages. And so he was a, a minister of the gospel and he did build, he built buildings with his own hands usually with recycled lumber because he didn't have much cash, as you might imagine. And he was a praying man. He spent hours a day praying. But he was poor. And his six children were poor. And perhaps it was that very poverty that encouraged one of his sons, who became a minister, to very much preach uh, a different message. <laughs> but this is a story that I want to tell you about the old line Pentecostals, almost always on the other side of the track, never going to college and never assuming that they would have any money. In fact, perhaps preaching that poverty was holiness and holiness necessitated poverty. And there, there are branches of Judaism like that the O-line Pentecostals. And then there are the evangelicals. And I'm going to tell you a story I was in. I had signed up for some courses at a Christian college in the summer, you know, summer school, and I could get away from my, my duties uh, for a few weeks in the summer. And the students of the college, it was a college event, we decided to go to the beach, which was only a short way away and I was walking up on the beach with one of the instructors so she and I were walking up and there were some other people and we were looking down the beach for the group of students from our college sure enough we found a group of students in rows on a blanket 
near a volleyball tent and this instructor said ah that would be us the group on the beach that is having the least amount of fun look nobody's even playing volleyball what a sad looking bunch but that's got to be uh, us and sure enough <laughs> that was the christian students on the beach having no fun now these people weren't poor but they were miserable or at least well they you know i've been to a party and spent the party talking theology and i wasn't miserable i just enjoyed that but here are these people on the beach they didn't really look inviting to person outside and that's the point so a certain kind of death even though not poverty and then there is the third corner i want to talk to you about and this is the group that i have tried very hard not to call out but you know for sure that i'm talking about the move these are my people that i love and do you know that there is and has been a poverty spirit but it is unevenly practiced <laughs> but there across the move and across time in the move but for sure there is a culture and it is a culture of death and of course there is some life there too in fact no way could such a mordant deep and wide death culture exist if there hadn't been originally such a vibrant life culture and there's still some life because there's still some good-hearted people there but in all of these stories there's some good-hearted people the whole idea of what i'm talking about is that we end up choosing death because we don't see it we get snookered there is a substitution as we think that we're doing the right thing and we're grabbing death that's what i'm talking about let's see the death so we can repent from it and eliminate it so there is a mixture yes but i'm talking about this culture of death one of the major leaders preached that god hates you now the major leader preached you could not possibly own a business you would definitely be in sin if you owned a business not owning the business is sin but that you would get in sin by owning a business which i think had a lot more to do with his manner of running a business rather than mine or somebody else's another major leader preached from hebrews 9 that jesus obtained salvation for himself by his death and therefore we must also obtain salvation for ourselves by our similar death yeah that's and nobody blinked an eye because they probably heard it before and another major leader made a career of the fear-mongering of the end time stuff doesn't do that lately now that we faced with end time stuff <laughs> but did it help or was it just fear-mongering that always sold a lot of tapes i think i've pretty much called out every leader Oh, well, another one who consistently preaches against the founding doctrines. And there's a whole lot more to be said, but I'm not trying to call people out. I'm just trying to talk about a culture of death. How could any of this have happened? And it was definitely the doctrine of the entire group that we should not be going to college. So many of us 
gave up our college much to our parents chagrin unhappiness and protest and yet today you're going to find people who will lord it over you because their son has a doctorate or perhaps even they had a graduate education uh, before the uh, before they joined the move and so you're supposed to be impressed and you're supposed to bow down and do obeisance to that what that was anti the doctrine come on now so I'm okay with doctrine changing and I'm okay with people having different positions in life but you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth to put people down in fact I think it's a put-down culture it's a put-down culture and that's why I preached Wesley's vilification idea there is a certain amount of death and we all know it was not just death to self but also death of the Christ life so things may have moved on but it was in many ways a culture of death and moving right along you may know that Nietzsche the crazy philosopher syphilis ridden mad philosopher who was read and embraced in the graduate schools of today Nietzsche said that Christianity indeed all of Christianity was slave religion now it's true that Christianity appealed to the slaves in Rome it is true that our Lord and Savior who although he was rich became poor for our sakes who was the servant of all it is true that we arm ourselves with the same mind that we might be obedient even obedient unto the cross but does that make us a slave religion that's a truncated twisted version of Christianity because the Lord of all who poured out all even unto death unto hell what was he doing in hell was he suffering in hell no he took the keys of the kingdom back from the owner of hell and the resident of hell and he resurrected so it is simply wrong to suggest well first let me say servant leadership is leadership servant leadership is leadership it's not simply choosing always at the you know a bottom feeder that's not what it's about and you take the lowest seat that you might be recognized <laughs> because God wants to exalt us in due time but we don't exalt ourselves so it's a perfect balance so it's wrong to suggest that Christianity is slave religion it is a syphilis damaged brain version of Christianity <laughs> because we are heirs of all things we are partakers of the divine nature we have great many precious promises for this life and the next so we have gotten it wrong sometimes and 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're getting it. We're getting tweaked better and better, and he'll complete the project. But sometimes we get a little unbalanced. So you know that sometimes we have been unhappiness as if holiness made us sourpusses. You know, we talked about more about the devil's brew than about the resurrection and about freedom from addiction. Sometimes our faith has made us poverty stricken because we chose lack of skill, we chose lack of motivation, and we made poor choices. Hallelujah. We were attempting to keep our place, but but what is our place? The scripture says that if we were slaves and we are offered an opportunity to go free, we may do so. <laughs> Resigning ourselves to a poor situation because that's the will of the divine is not Christianity. That is true about some other religions, but that is not Christianity. Rooted in Judaism, we're about multiplication and possessing the land. Oftentimes, our Christianity has meant we've had a lack of power, and we made stories about, about sovereignty that really didn't make sense. We made stories about we need to stay out of politics. The definition of politics is the way things are decided. So should you really make a doctrine that you should stay out of the way things are decided? Now, this is exactly like the story that holiness is. That means poverty. You must be poor to be holy. So we have had a lack of power. We made stories to make ourselves feel good. And then those inheritors of the stories chose a lack of power. And fourthly, our care kept us out of the promises. Either we were overtaken by the thorns of this life and our care, or we chose to be responsible in a way that decided that the promises were probably not real and that we could trust ourselves better than trusting God. Of course, we should be diligent, but we've got to trust God and, and not be so involved in our care that we're pulled away from God and choosing death rather than life. So we have often focused on the counterproductive, and this has encouraged abuse in the family of God, abuse, uh, I mean, in the congregation or in the institutions, so that the leadership had a tendency to abuse the the followers because the followers were imbibing in this elixir of foolishness. It encouraged self-abuse because we were trying to be dead to self, and we were thinking that poverty, lack of power, and care, and unhappiness were holy. And it most certainly discouraged any kind of strategic improvement. In fact, it may have taught directly to give up the Christian life, give up the faith. 
give up the sharing of the gospel and give up the influence in the culture, which could only be part of the coming of the kingdom. So we were truly snookered. And of course, Satan deals in deception. So let's get unsnookered. Okay, hallelujah. So we talked about we do not have to strive to kill ourselves, but rather we identify with Christ. Therefore, we live the crucified life. And that's how we mortify the deeds of the flesh is by identifying with the finished work of Jesus. Hallelujah. So if you haven't heard that, please do hear that episode. And I'm just going to tell the story that uh, Brother Sam told that there was a young man in the move, new in the move, this was a long time ago, who was laying on the floor of his bedroom in his parents' house, praying, Lord, kill me, Lord, kill me, and his mother heard him. <laughs> okay, so uh, we all know that there is a, a an off balance to that. So, hallelujah, we're both crucified with Christ and risen with Jesus. Amen. By the power of thy life, break the power of this death. Hallelujah. I remember singing that. Lovely. So we've got all the pieces here, but we've got to get them in the right order. And we've got the most wonderful outcome. So we are clay pots holding the glory of the potter coming one with the potter. I mean, it, it can't be any better. But we're not going to get there if we keep rubbing our noses in the clay pots. And there are several ways of doing that. Talking on and on about sin and never about redemption or talking on and 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 on about submission and death to self and never talking about resurrection or talking about blessing in a truncated way that it's only about money. So we do need to focus on the blessing, the whole blessing, the blessing. God is our portion and that God is good. We do need to do that because otherwise, how can we go forth with the kind of thanksgiving? Thanksgiving in our heart that opens, that even lets us into the gate of the Gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise. So we can't even get in to the outer court without thanksgiving. And then incense into the veil. Okay, so the point here is to choose life, to focus on good and blessing. And it says in Luke 16, 11 through 13, we can only serve one master. We can only serve one master. We can't serve the master that is an evil master and we cannot serve ourselves but we have to serve the one and have a unified picture and it's a good God who would like to bless us and the rabbis say that the blessings are good in disguise that no evil comes from heaven the same rabbi that I quoted earlier imagine a perfect parent and an imperfect teenager. And the teenager was making some bad decisions. 
so the consequences of those decisions were self-teaching <laughs> and so if made then those poor choices and the consequences thereof showed the teenager that that was not a good road and to turn back so i think that's the situation with god is that the bad choices we make are correct us unfortunately because the world is broken um, we do actually get hurt i'm not making a big theological point or a big doctrine this is just a understanding a hortatory point okay i'm just going to have faith that the judgments the curses of god are intended to bring us back but ultimately we do have a choice and so let's use that choice well choose life choose life so back to deuteronomy the 30th chapter we'll start again in 15 see i've set before thee this day life and good and death and evil this is a choice that you have to make today in this life and we do the choosing verse 16 in that i command thee this day to love the lord thy god that's the point it's not about certain rules although there are some it's about loving god who is love god is our portion and we are his portion love the lord thy god to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply and the lord thy god shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it and of course like every preacher i can't possibly move on without saying something about commandments statutes and judgments <laughs> but the point here let's not lose the point is that we're to love God this is choosing good and that we don't love the ministry we don't love our self-aggrandizement we don't love the opinion of other people we don't love substances we don't love riches we love God and that comes out for good for us because there's life and multiplication and blessing in the land and not just in heaven okay but commandments is the word mitzvah so this could be translated as surprise commandment <laughs> or a law okay so it's clear in this world that there are some laws and it should be clear by now that these laws like the ten commandments are for our good just think about um, the whole idea of a society where it's wrong to murder one another hallelujah if you had a society where that would be acceptable what a horrible place to live just think how much less problems there are when we marry and have sex in marriage and then have two people to rear children compared to some more modern ideas where then who's left holding the bag the mom with the little kids it's not good for the kids it's not good for the mom it's not good for society so all I'm saying is the commandments of God, the basic commandments, you do this. Actually, the Ten Commandments are more thou shalt not do not do this. Okay, so that's the commandments.
they work. They worked for Israel back then. They work for us now. And I recommend the Ten Commandments. Okay, so this is godly culture as the base. Okay, statutes is the word chuga. And this could mean customs, or it could be translated well, statutes, but it's also the customs, the ways of doing things of, of a group of people. And so I'm going to fill in there. My understanding is this is the person and principles of Christ. The person and principles of Christ. So this is the way we do things. The statutes. So and it is good news also. So we have a culture that's a Christian culture. And when we go weekly to consider the appropriate ways of proceeding, that makes a good culture. It makes us better learners and certainly makes us a more moral people. And yes, there's sociological studies to back that claim up. Society is better when people consider more appropriate way of behaving. And if you have a church culture, like we tend to, where we don't drink, we're not a bunch of drunkards, that seems to be good. Uh, as just an example, we consider how to have better personalities, more gracious, more thankful, and so forth. Doing good. And then the culture of charity and projects and so forth. Of course, that's rooted in the church culture. Even government done fairly, legally, and without corruption was rooted in the Christian principle culture. That is our culture and that's good for us. And thirdly, judgment is mishpah, which means a verdict, a verdict. And of course, I can't help but think of the way that we're praying with Robert Henderson. There are judgments in the courts of heaven, good and bad. <laughs> and, and this means verdicts, positive and negative. As the sons and daughters of the king, we don't expect judgments to be rendered against us, but rather against our enemies. You know, that's because we are righteous. We're righteous in Christ, but also because we're doing the commandments and keeping the statutes of the kingdom. I'm not taking anything away here from salvation by faith. I'm just saying we're attempting to live in alignment with our Father, and we repent when we don't. And as we pray in this courts of heaven method, we also come to discover that as we mature, we can be part of the court of heaven. And these are the deep things of God. But it's very much rooted in a long-term understanding of the basic part of the gospel. And I remember a lecture, I was privileged to attend three basic views of the atonement, three basic views of, apparently in the older church, you know, the church fathers, they talked more about ransom and redemption. Irenaeus particularly talked about ransom and redemption and the partaking of immortality. I just happened to see that as I checked, tried to remember uh, and wanted to throw that out, that he talked about 
partaking of immortality. So Ransom, Tertullian, and so forth, Anselm version. But as the, and Justin Martyr talked about propitiation, but which leads into then the reformers idea was more about penal substitution, penal substitution. They thought that couching redemption, salvation, or atonement, justification, in terms of ransom, was too commercial. And so they they used the analogy of the courtroom, penal substitution. This became an offense to the modern mind that didn't want to admit that there was sin, in particular. Modern people like Rauschenbusch followed Abelard in talking about the moral example of Jesus. So three basic views is the ransom, the penal, and the moral views of of atonement. And I don't see why all of them cannot be true at once. They don't seem to me to contradict one another whatsoever, except for the offense, which is, of course, silly. Of course, there's sin. And so this whole idea of judgment is rooted in, of course, I was thinking, was rooted in the penal justification ideas. But I think that's very much rooted in the ancient understanding. The whole church history has understood redemption in this way as the judgment of God back to Justin Martyr. Okay, so we've got the commandments. We keep the commandments. We've got the statutes or the customs of the of the kingdom culture. And we have the judgments, the verdicts rendered from heaven that we even see today in our prayers. And we come to a place of maturity where we participate in these courts. Back to Deuteronomy 30 and 16. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways. And how? To keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. And what is the result? That thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land, whither thou goest to possess it. So yes, there is some activity for us to do. We don't just sit in our chairs making confessions, but we go and possess the land. Yes, but the point here is that the Lord blesses us and not just in the airy fairy by and by in heaven. No, in the land. Verse 17, if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over the Jordan to go to possess it. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. So these are very serious words. I, is this Moses, is this God, call heaven and earth to be a witness that God has set before us life and death, 
blessing and cursing. And therefore we are instructed to choose life. And I instruct you to choose life. I instruct me to choose life. And I think we were confused about what was choosing life. But I hope now we are not confused that life and good and blessing is all lined up. And hallelujah, that's good news. It's not good news to think that I have to live a whole life of misery here to get a life of bliss on the other side of the veil. It is a not good news that I have to abuse myself or allow someone else to do it to get the approbation of God. And it most surely is not good news to think that we will never know what the rules are. They always change and we always get punished. It is good news that I can participate in the divine life of Christ and, and, and even God being an outpouring being and that I can be resurrected. But this is a choiceful thing and it is not a wasteful thing for Jesus didn't waste his blood on the cross, but he will see his reward, it says. Go back and read Isaiah 52 and 53. Jesus expects a reward, despising the shame and looking for the joy set before him. So he didn't obtain salvation for himself. No, he obtained salvation for us. And that was his joy that he could bring us back to the family he could bring us into higher life amen therefore choose life verse 20 that thou mayest love the lord thy god so when our seed prospers we love god more yeah <laughs> that thou mayest love the lord thy god and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life he is thy life not some rule set not some achievement and attainment. He is thy life. He is our life. God is our life. And the length of our days. So yes, I believe in living a long time. And maybe never dying. If we're the right generation. That thou mayest dwell in the land. So yes, the kingdom of heaven but yes, the kingdom of heaven on earth today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. That thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, unto Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Hallelujah. So we do see the children of Israel living in Israel today. Amen. And that's a huge sign to us. And we need to be entering in to the promised land of living the Christ life. We're not going to live the resurrected life unless we live the crucified life. And why would we do that unless we thought we're going to live the resurrected life? Hallelujah. And that is not just in the airy fairy, but in this land. So choose life. There is life and there's blessing and there's good lined up in one column hallelujah good news <laughs> and yes there is cursing and evil and death lined up in the other column and i choose to see that as sheepdog warning to get us back on the path but it's real and i don't want to burn my fingers on the stove just to discover that the stove is hot i'm going to take the fact that the stove is hot and hallelujah can 
make me some tea. Okay? Hallelujah. Praise God. Choose life. Stand on Gerizim. Notice that's just above Shechem. Hallelujah. An ancient gospel. Ever better understood. Amen? Choose life. Please give us a like wherever you are listening to us so that others might find us. And please share directly with those who might be interested. You are invited to write us at sister at jesuspatternson.org. Sister at jesuspatternson.org. And of course, you are welcome to come to our website at jesuspatternson.org. May the Lord bless you.